This is KMTT. The week begins this uh, winter, Tavshin Ein, with a shiur by Harav Benjamin Tavori, a series, weekly series, on uh, modern responsa of the 20th century, more or less, both the individual and the and the topic. Harav Benjamin Tavori. As we continue a series of shiurim about response to literature of the 20th century, it would be appropriate to continue with the chief rabbis of Israel. We began with Rav Kook, then discussed some tshuvas of his Mimalei Makam, of Rav Herzog, who took his place, and now we will discuss Rav Unterman, who replaced Rav Herzog as chief rabbi of Israel. Rav Herzog, Rav Unterman, was involved in many areas of Rabbanus and the yeshiva world. And interestingly enough, he wrote about this himself. In the introduction to his first volume called Shevet Mehuda, he wrote a partial autobiography until that period of time. At that time, he was chief rabbi of Tel Aviv. So he sort of summarized his life until that particular time. He was born in 1886. As a matter of fact, he was born in the city of Brisk, where he was educated by his father at first. Until the age of eight, he studied with his father. And then, as was the custom in those days, he went to the local school, to the local rav, and learned, it. well, actually not the school, he learned in the, in the base medrash. And he was a child prodigy, he was not allowed yet into the shiurim of the great gedolim of Brisk. Of course, the Salavechik family were the rabbanim in Brisk, and the Dayan in Brisk, who used to say shiurim in yeshiva, was also Reb Simchazelik Rieger. And Rav Unterman wrote how he was not allowed into the shiurim. He was too young, but the older boys apparently liked him very much, and afterwards, after they heard the shir, they used to go to him and tell him over the Torah that he, of the briskers, of the brisker rabbanim. He then did go to yeshivas, various yeshivas he went to. Among others, he was in Mir for a while. He learned in Valoshin. He was very close in Valoshin to Reb Rafael Shapira. Reb Rafael Shapira was the father-in-law of Reb Chaim Salavechik. And Rav Unterman received smicha from Rabbi Fel Shapira. He was appointed as a Rosh Hashiva in a neighboring town at a fairly young age. And he worked very hard in the yeshiva, but eventually he felt it would be easier for him to be the Rav of a kihila, And he became the Rav of various kilot in Europe. He did become, eventually, the Rav of Liverpool. He was offered to be the chief rabbi of Liverpool in 1924. And he wanted to accept that position because he felt it was a unique rabbanus. He was the rav of Liverpool, Liverpool, and everything was done in accordance with his wishes. As he did in the other cities in which he was a rav, Rav Winterman did not satisfy himself just by being the rav of the city, but he always wanted to make sure there was a yeshiva in in the city, and he began, in general, yeshivas in different places, which he called Shevet Mehuda. While he was in Liverpool, 
he also became the president of the Mizrahi of England. He was a staunch Zionist and really hoped all his life that he could come on Aliyah. In 1946, he was chosen to be the chief rabbi of Tel Aviv. And as he did in other cities, he began a kolel there called Kolel Shevet Meyehuda. Eighteen years, Rav Wunderman was the chief rabbi of Tel Aviv. In 1964, he was appointed to replace Rav Herzog as the chief rabbi of Eretz Yisrael. Later on, he retired and basically was a lived a quiet life except for his kolel, Shevet Meyehuda. I met him once in my life on Cholam Moed, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but Rav Herzog was at least, Rav Unterman, I'm sorry, was at least 85 when I went on Cholam with my father to visit him. A group of Dayanim also came and discussed things with him, Cholam in a manner of visiting a Rav on Yantif. I was very impressed when they discussed the question with him that was very, very complicated halachically. I, at the time, was a young ram in a yeshiva, and I started thinking myself, how would I analyze this question? And I thought, you know, it's almost not fair. Rav Unterman was so old at that time uh, to pose such a complicated question for him, not something that's, you know, common, something very unusual, but so complicated, I thought it wasn't so fair. And then I was really astonished by the acumen, the brilliance, the analytic ability of this man at his old age, quoting sources right and left and analyzing the question to its entirety. While he was alive, he printed one sefer called Shevet Meyehuda, and that sefer is more of what we would call Mechkerei Halacha, studies in Halacha, and one of the areas that interested him extremely was the area of Pikuach Nefesh. A lot of the book of Shevet Nehuda is devoted to Pikuach Nefesh. The issues that he discussed, which were really relevant, Halach Lamaisa, included uh, plastic surgery, saving lives at the expense of risking your, risking your own life, but with the questions that were posed to him as one of the members of the chief rabbinate and then as the chief rabbi were questions that medical issues that really were the most important things at the time. He was one of the first people that dealt with the question of heart transplants in Eretz Yisrael. The chuvos, the responsa, were not printed in his lifetime, but later on Posthumously, there is an organization partly connected with Ariel, the uh, Kolel in, in Yerushalayim, which has a va'ada to print the Svaim of Rav Untermin. A number of Svaim have been printed already, and there is a volume of Shevet Meyehuda, which has Shut, Responsa, in Rav Unterman's handwriting, published by this organization called Ariel, and edited by my friend, Rabbi Dr. Itamar Warhaftik. The 
Chuvos here show one facet of being a chief rabbi, of having the reputation of Rav Untermin. Questions were asked from all over the world. A quick glance through the volumes will show you there were chuvos answered to people in Buenos Aires, in Pretorio, in Denmark, United States, England, Switzerland, and of course, Eretz Israel. The respect shown for Rav Unterman was also demonstrated in the introduction to Shevet Mehuda, where the editor wrote, had quoted the famous Tamit Racham of Switzerland, Rabbi Chir Yaakov Weinberg, who wrote to Rav Unterman and wrote that he's confused about a certain issue and therefore he needs the advice and the teaching and he would ask Rav Herzog to Rav Unterman to give back, to, re, re, to respond with his wide knowledge. He also answered again, Rav Weinberg answered Rav Unterman again and said, I know how busy you are, but I know how quick you are to answer, how sharp your understanding is, your wide breadth of knowledge, and therefore I ask you to answer me in the most possible haste. So, you see from the attitudes of many people how Rav Unterman was considered a major posek of his time, and questions were asked from all over the world. The interesting points that I saw in the chuvos of Rav Unterman were wide, multifaceted, but I would like to point about three particular areas. One, Koach Dehetera. The strength of being Mekil and explaining the side Lahatir. In that introduction to the volume of Chuvas, Rabbi Warafti quotes a number of Chuvas which reflect this idea very, very clearly. In one line he says, in a tshuva that he wrote about heter of a woman to her husband, he wrote, Bizmanenu durushim li'ikar koach de'atera, k'day she'lo yitrachaku yoter v'yoter chas v'shalom yadut. In our generation, we really require a lenient approach because otherwise, God forbid, people will be more and more estranged from Judaism. In another question, he was asked if you were allowed to keep rabbits in a kindergarten. The problem of non-kosher animals in a, in a kindergarten, he answered, we, sh- we have to be careful not to exaggerate. Kikol hamosif goreya. Anybody who adds is actually detracting. Vedayla hakima. A word to the wise is sufficient. There are a number of chuvos which seem very short. The analysis of the particular diyun hilchati is lacking in the, in the Svarim Shevet Mehuda. It's only in the Svarim where he wrote in his life, the Mechkarim that I mentioned before, that's where you see the greatness of Rav in learning. Here you see a succinct tshuva, 
But in this particular area, you see a number of tshuvas where you see koach dehatera. The another issue that I saw in the various responsa, how there are many tshuvos that he deals with the problem of breaking the community into different fringes. In Hebrew, not to break the community into separate units. And there are a number of tshuvos that you see this. For example, there's a tshuva that he wrote to one of the greatest rabbis, professors, biologists today. Rabbi Moshe David Tendler, the son-in-law of Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, who was, of course, who is, of course, a fine Tamit Chacham, Rosh Hashiva and Yeshiva University, well-known as a professor of biology at the same time. And, of course, Rabbi Tendler dealt with areas that involve science and halacha. One of the areas that Rav Untemann discusses with him is the question of the swordfish. Rabbi Tendler wrote that a swordfish is not considered a kosher animal. And he discussed the difference between different types of fishes. He discussed what the simanim are, etc., etc. Rav Untemann wrote a tshuva that he quoted two main sources. As I said, the tshuvas are rather brief, to the point, and give up sack. Here, he quotes a sefer, the Darche Tshuva, where he quotes a minag pashut, a common cu- custom to eat this swordfish, even though the scales, etc., are a little problematic, which we won't go into the details. But then he quotes another source, the Encyclopedia Britannica, which lists the swordfish among the mackerel. The mackerel, of course, is a kosher fish. So he says, this is a scientific source that Rabbi Untemin used to paskin that you're allowed to eat this swordfish. But then in a letter to Rabbi Tendler, he again reiterates the fact that the Knesset HaGadola said this sword is this fish is mutter. He quoted again the Britannica that a swordfish is belongs to the mackerel family, but then he gives another argument. Not only is the sources that are the sources that I quoted sufficient, but we have a tradition that people have been eating this fish for many years, and we know that if there is a tradition in the Jewish people to eat this fish as a kosher fish, eaten by people who are careful about Torah mitzvahs, that itself is a proof that you can rely on. He asked Rabbi Tendler to then study the letter, and I hope, says Rav Untermin, that you will agree to the poskim that it is mutter. And I would like you to publicize this for the benefit of the people 
who are meticulous about eating kosher, but, and here's the issue that I mentioned before, I don't want there to be an issue of agudos agudos. Some people will eat, some people will not eat, some say it's treif, some say it's not treif, and therefore he asked Rav Tendler to reconsider and announce that the swordfish is indeed a kosher fish. This goal of having an end to different communities was found also in the tshuva, also about kashrus in our generation. The letters were written, a number of letters were written about pasteurization of wine. Is pasteurization considered yayin mevushal, which would of course eliminate the problem of stam yenam, or do you have to reach a higher level of heat than is normally done in pasteurization? And in the Chuvos of Shevet Mehuda, we have a letter written to a Mr. Zeltzer, who was the Mankal, the general manager of the Elias wine firm, where he wrote that Yayin Mevushal, of course, is permitted, but it has to be a higher level of heat than pasteurization. He wrote another letter printed in the same volume where he said that we require a higher level. But And he wrote this then to all the letters of to the Rabbanim of all Eretz Israel to discuss if this is considered Yayin Mevushal also for the purpose of making Kiddush on Yayin Mevushal some people are do not make Kiddush in Yayin Mevushal. But then the interesting letter that I found was written to a Mr. Avraham Parshan. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I knew this Mr. Avraham Parshan, who was Rev. Avraham Parshan, a Lubavitcher Chassid, who lived in Toronto. And the letter, I think, was written to him. And the question he asked him was that Rabbi, Mr. Parshan, Rev. Avraham, apparently asked Rev. Unterman if the wine of Carmel was considered Mavusha. Rav Unterman answered, yes, the wine is pasteurized, but many great rabbis in America paskined that wine which is pasteurized has the din of Yayin Mavusha and therefore is not involved in the halachic problems of Stam Yenam. But, Rav Unterman added, in Israel, we are meticulous about the this wine after pasteurization, and we do not consider it mevushal. But since many rabbanim in America gave permission, paskin that pasteurization is mevushal, there you should rely on the mekilim. I also ask you, says Rav, Rav Unterman, not to publicize any. Isur from the rabbinate of Eretz Israel, because then there will be a, this problem of one community doing according to one psak and another psak. Therefore, each community can do their own psak, but let's not publicize it and let's not make a big uh, machlokis about this. A third area that I found interesting in Rav Untermans Chuvas, as very often in his 
with his sharp acumen, he suggested certain practical ideas, practical ways of avoiding the halachic shaylis that he was that were raised. One of the examples was that he was asked if you're allowed to have a census of the nation of Israel. Of course, we know that many people feel that it's forbidden to count the Jewish people. In the time of the Torah, we know they gave a machzis hashekel, and the Torah says, V'lo negef if there shall not be a plague when they're counted. And of course, the story of David, and we won't go into all the details of counting the people. In Israel, when they needed a census, and Rav Untiman emphasized how this is important for uh, sociological reasons, for security reasons, for financial reasons, a very important thing for a country to have an accurate census of its population. And obviously there were certain people who objected to the census. And many people have have addressed themselves to this particular issue, whether we are allowed to have a census of the Jewish nation. And various chivas have been written by this, by Rav Gorin, by other Rabbanim in Eretz Israel who were involved in this issue. Rav Untiman recommended, as I said, a practical solution for the people that really did not want to include themselves in the census. He said there was a census that had been done years before. And now we're talking years later that they'd say it's time to have another census. So Rav Untiman said, instead of counting and saying there are eight people in our family, each family could say there's no change in our address since then, except for, and they would only mention if there were births, people moved in, or people moved out, or people passed away. And then, he said, that would be no problem whatsoever. You're not saying how many people you have, you're just saying what the change was since the previous census. An example of a little common sense to try to avoid any halachic argument that could arise. Another issue that I saw that was similar, was a question written to the community of Buenos Aires. The problem there was they built a shul, but the way the the architecture was done, or perhaps that was the best way to have it there, the shul did not face, the Aron Kodesh did not face Mizrach. Now, we know when we talk about Mizrach, we mean the direction toward Eretz Yisrael. And we all know the halacha, that when you daven, you should daven facing Eretz Yisrael. But here, the tshuva addressed a shul that the Aron Kodesh, for whatever reason, did not face Mizrach. So, firstly, of course, Rav Untermin quotes halachic sources. And there is a tshuva of the Nitziv in Meshiv Davar, to, who said that uh, if the shoe was already built, you don't have to do anything about it. But of course, lechatchila, it would be more correct to put the uh, the uh, mizrach, the sefer Torah, the yarn kodesh, in the in the mizrach direction. Uh, by the way, the netziv has an interesting discussion, which of course has been carried on to this day. Where, if there is a discrepancy between the Aron Kodesh and the Kivun and the direction of Eretz Israel, which direction should you actually face when you daven? But Rav Untiman does not deal with that issue. He just discusses with 
itself, whether the Arnkada should be in Mizrach. And then he pointed out that let's first of all find out in South Africa, in South America, what is the correct direction to place the Aron Kodesh. Now, you can go to Eretz by plane from South America going west or east. So, he felt that uh, you could put the Aron Kodesh either east or west. Uh, he felt east would be preferable, nevertheless west would be kosher the Evet. But then, he adds, as I said, a practical piece of advice. He said, I would suggest you put a, a sign by the Aron Kodesh, and you write on it, Mitzvah lechavim b'tfila keneged beis hamikdash. There's a special mitzvah to face when you daven to face the beit hamikdash. And he said that will fulfill the idea of the Mishnah of yichavim eslibo keneged kodesh hakadoshim. So it's interesting how a little technical advice was given here to somehow alleviate the halachic discussion. Another example of halachic advice was found in a tshuva that today has become even the, even more relevant. Rav Untiman has a tshuva written, obviously, many years ago about the use of electric elevators, automatic elevators on Shabbos. And he wrote it to a Rav in New York who established such an elevator in his shul. Rav Unterman said that he himself had traveled to America, or to, I'm sorry, he had traveled to see this automatic elevator, which they use in Hadassah, in the Hadassah Hospital in Yerushalayim. Rav Unterman said, after discussing it and thinking about it, he decided that basically it's the same as opening a refrigerator on Shabbos. And he mentioned in the name of Shlomo Zaman Orbach, that you're allowed to open the refrigerator door even when the refrigerator is not, the, the motor is not running. And he said that an elevator is even more easy to permit. But then he raised certain issues that people were nervous about, people were reluctant to have this type of elevator. So he gave, as, again, a practical solution. And the truth is, I don't understand the difference in the various elevators, but he discussed it with professionals, and he discussed a certain type of elevator that's called a paternoster, and he said apparently it's very common in Europe, it can be used, It's run. it runs all the time, maybe it's uh, somewhat more of an escalator type, I don't know exactly, but he said that, that type of uh, an elevator would certainly be permitted, and therefore he said you can certainly use it. He felt also it was a very important takana to make sure that people keep Shabbos and people can enjoy Shabbos to, re- to go up to their apartments. The Shuvas also obviously will ref- ref- reflect many halachic issues that faced Eretz Israel at that time. For example, the issue of having a draft, an, a dra- an army draft on Shabbos. And there, of course, the issue is fairly clear, and again, written very tersely, succinctly, when it's a case of Pikrach Nefesh, of course, people are allowed to travel. If there's no Pikrach Nefesh involved, they should not go on Shabbos. Rav Untiman also related to various aspects of Yom Atzma'ut. One of the questions that he was asked 
was whether you're allowed to have a band, to have public music on Yom Atzmaut. And it, very interestingly, the tshuva was written in the approximately 1954. In the book, it's printed with a question mark exactly what the date was. But if Rav Unterman said that the Rabbanut decided that Yom Atzmaut is a Yom Tov, the laws of Sphere can be abolished for that particular day. Music is certainly permitted. But in an interesting note, historically, he wrote that even in B'nai Brak, a city filled with religious people, the custom of the Rosh Ha'ir, the mayor of B'nai Brak, instituted having public music in B'nai Brak. One wonders when this really happened and what is the situation today. One of the last issues that Rev. Unterman that I would like to mention that Rav Unterman dealt with, is again questions that re- reflect the, de- the, the, the times of his Rabbanut. He was asked about Yom Tov Sheini for people visiting Israel. Uh, people who live in Chutzar to come to Israel for Yom Tov, what's the din? Now this issue is, again, very rampant in various tshuvas, many people have addressed themselves this issue. One says this, one says another. There's a wide variety of opinions. Rav Unterman was perhaps one of the first people that was faced with a, a scenario that today is rather common. Many people who live in Chutzaretz bought apartments in Eretz Yisrael. And they come to Eretz Yisrael every year for Pesach and Sukkot. But Shvuas, they stay home very often. These type of people, Rav Unterman said, can keep one day Yantif when they're in Israel. They're considered as Toshavei Haaretz. However, when they live, when they're in Chutzaretz, let's say for Shvuos, then he felt they should keep two days Yantif. Again, the Tshuva is not written with the sources and the, a lot of the reasoning involved, but it's a clear, short Tshuva where he gives his opinion. One of the interesting areas that he paskined about Yom Tov Sheni was to one of the councils of Israel who got married in Chutzlaretz. His wife had not been an Israeli. They were obviously going to go to Israel when his tenure in office would be over. The council owned an apartment in Israel. The wife had become an Israeli citizen and took out an Israeli passport, but yet she had never actually been to Israel. So what should she do? Here, Rav Untamin Paskind, a very interesting split in the family. The husband is a Ben Eretz Yisrael, and therefore he could keep one day. Of course, Rav Untamin pointed out that you're not allowed to do Malacha on the second day. Whereas the wife would have to keep two days Yantif, because as yet she has not come to Eretz Yisrael. Again, an interesting psak, brief to the point, reflecting upon the times at the beginning of the State of Israel, in the first few years of the state of Israel. So we have seen that Rav, Rav Unterman's chuvos are short, to the point, discuss areas that affect modern Israel. We saw a tremendous amount of koach de'etera, the leniency that Rav Unterman felt was necessary for his times.